hear you guys worshiping, um, my heart just gets filled. And uh, it's almost difficult to stand up here, sit up here, and, uh, and speak because I think that's just a small picture of what heaven's going to be like. The Bible says that there will be people from every nation, tribe, tongue on the planet who have given their hearts to Christ. And they will be gathered together singing, glory to God. Dude, to catch just a little glimpse of that here on earth sustains me until we can do it again. It's part of what I enjoy about the church, about the body of Christ. It's getting together. I mean, I love my small group, love my small group, but we don't sing like that. None of the band is in my small group. So I think we need both. I think we need corporate worship where we come together and we celebrate a risen Savior, a Savior who's no longer in the grave. But we also need small groups where we can get together and talk and pray and see God do miraculous things in a small group setting as well. We've got to do both. got to be balanced. Now, um, whether you are a member here or whether this is your first time here, whether you, you go to church on a regular basis or not, Here's something that we got to be real clear about today. We're talking about church the way it should be. We're going back to the very first church on the planet. And, and no matter where you go, you gotta, you got to acknowledge this. No church is perfect. Um, we, we can be real petty. We can be jealous. We can injure people with our words. And, and we can want to injure people when we've been injured. We want to demand vengeance. We can be an ugly people. And I'm not really telling you anything that you haven't experienced on your own, anything that's, that's great news to you today. Churches, if they, if they take their eyes off of the Savior and put their eyes on themselves and on their own territory, they become ugly places to be. And that's not what God intended. Imagine in your mind, imagine a church where you could go no matter how messed up you were no matter how many bad things you have in your past. Because quite honestly, most people know they're sinners. Most people know that they have disobeyed God in some way. Most people know they've disobeyed God in a lot of ways. And the last place they want to go is church because they feel like they're going to be condemned. They feel like somebody is going to um, cast them into hell just by their very presence there. Imagine a church where even when someone had to tell you the truth, they did it in a way that made you feel respected. They poured out grace on you. Do you realize that when Jesus talked to sinners, they never walked away from him beating themselves up. They walked away from him with this incredible realization that although they were sinners, Christ loved them and he had the power to change them. Imagine a church where you could go, no matter what you were wearing, no matter what you smelled like, no matter what had happened the day before or that morning, you could go and people would love you. That's church as the way it should be. The way it should be. Now, I want you to look at this in uh, Galatians chapter 6 before we get into Acts, and, and look what this is. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those of the family of faith. What, what, line, what words did I underline there? Do good. You ever heard somebody called a do-gooder? Oh, they're just a do-gooder. I'm showing my age. Because people would say that back when, when, oh, that's just a, 
goody two-shoes. They're just a do-gooder. Well, I wish I'd known this verse back then because I, I would have said, that's what they're supposed to be. If they're going to follow Jesus, they're supposed to do good, especially to the family of faith. That's exactly what the Bible tells us to do. We're to do the family of faith, that's Christians. We're supposed to do good to everyone, and we're supposed to put a high priority on the people who are Christ followers taking care of them. I want to introduce you to Tommy the Giver. Tommy needs a little bit of help in this area of giving and helping. Go ahead, guys. good news that is such good news dude can can you maybe give me a ride well i can't give you a ride but i can give you a, a bite of my sandwich um no thanks dude i i need a ride hey, i hey i only took one bite out of it it's 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 good stuff okay i need a ride i'll tell you what i can call somebody for you but better yet let me get a picture of you tina's we gonna, live next door she's gonna love this she's gonna you're just on the side of the road you look so cute there we go. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is good news. Oh, man. Tina okay, is seriously. Tina's going to. Oh, I man. Need, I need picture, a ride. Dude, you might put that in the meat. Take me. That's home. good stuff. Come on, sucker. Good, good stuff. say after that um tommy needs a little help you see christianity was never intended to be a spectator sport where you sit on the sidelines and you pay professionals to do the things that really god says we are supposed to do i think what a lot of people do is we we view the church as an institution an institution is where you go you go someplace and you expect somebody to do something for you the church was never designed to be like that you expect to be served at an institution, but, but too many people think that the church is an institution and they think that we come to church so that you can serve me, so that you can do something for me. It's all about me. And, and if it's a decent service, if we like the music, maybe we like the videos, and, and maybe we like the message, maybe we won't criticize you too much when we get home and have lunch or go out to eat or whatever. Um, it's no wonder folks don't want to come to church because people can go anywhere and be criticized. The church is supposed to be a family, and, you know, I said a normal family. I put a normal family in my notes, but I don't know that normal, I'm not sure what normal is, um, but, but we're supposed to be a family, God's family. And sometimes, quite honestly, I wish that a church was more like a bar without the alcohol. Chill. Because if you, if you take away the alcohol, why do you think people go to a bar? Socialize communication. Here's, here's what I think. I'm not an expert, but here's what I think. I think people go to a bar, minus the alcohol, 
because they can go just like they are and somebody's going to accept them. They don't pretend. You know, they don't, they don't put on the facade and act like they've got it all together. I think they go because there are other people like them who are struggling with life like them who listen to them and accept them. And sometimes I wish the church was more like that. One of my favorite Christian authors is Philip Yancey. And in one of his books, he tells a story of a man in his church who can't help comparing how he, when he comes to church, he can't help but compare the reaction he gets to his Alcoholics Anonymous group. He said, when he comes into church late, he gets looks as if you don't have enough um, self-respect or respect for the rest of us to get here on time. He said he totally feels like an outsider when he walks in the door late to church. But when he comes to his Alcoholics Anonymous group late, he said they stop the meeting. The men stand up and they come and they welcome him. They hug him because they know he had a choice. And his choice for them was greater than his choice for alcohol. His need for them was greater than his need for alcohol. And he made the right choice again. And they celebrate that he's there. That's what church should be like. That's the church that Christ died to create. The difference is being real. The people who are there who got to church early, maybe they got that one thing right, but I'm willing to bet there's 10, 12, or maybe 100 things that are jacked up in their life. And they're just not willing to admit it. Being a family of believers means we've got to be real. Being fake kills the opportunity to really get to know another person. Being fake kills intimacy. It kills families. This is one of the things I was talking about in my small group. We moved to a new level in my small group after about two months. And some people shared some things. And I can't share those things with you, but they shared with me. And every time it happens, we're sitting around in, in one of our living rooms. Every time it happens, it's like God whispers to me, this is church. When someone takes off a mask and says, you want to know? You want to know where I'm struggling? Here it is. And they lay it out there. And we love them and accept them and pray for them. That's what a small group is supposed to be like. And I think that's what people are looking for. Jesus said to his followers in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. If you have your listening guides out, would you just underline that phrase, prove to the world. When Christians love one another, unbelievable things happen. When Christians don't love one another, then we actually become unbelievable to people outside these walls. Gandhi said this, if Christians would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. Ouch. The truth is when Christians love each other, we prove to the world that Christ is in us and the world takes notice. Unbelievable things happen. And you see, every week when, when I try to prepare these messages and, and when I, the other guys that preach, I, I try to help them think about three types of people that are going to be here week in, week out. First group is, is the, the committed on fire for Christ. I've tried it without Christ, Christian. I don't want to go there again. And every week they come hungry, ready to worship, ready to be fed from the Word of God, ready to make a difference in their Christian life to take another step. We have those types of folks here every week. 
We have another set of group, uh, another group of people called the stumblers. These are the people who've made a commitment to Christ, but they keep stumbling maybe over the same issue over and over and over again. They want to come, they want to get better, but they don't know how. They don't know um, what, what it is that, that keeps tripping them up. And they need somebody who's older and more mature in the faith to come alongside them and help them figure that out. It's part of the reason we started Celebrate Recovery. It walks you through the steps to get over your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. And so there's a group of stumblers here, and maybe you hear the message and you want to apply the message, but sometimes the message is just like the evening news. You hear it and you shrug your shoulders and you go ahead and you live your life the best you can because you just keep falling in the same pothole. We want to teach you not to walk around the pothole. We want to teach you to go on a different path where it doesn't even have a pothole. And then there's seekers. Seekers are the reason we started this church. Because we said, there's a group of people out there that hate church. We want to be the church for people who hate church. Not because we're trying to be all goofy and different and all that. We can't help that. That's who we are. We're just being real about being goofy and all that. But we said, somehow... The Jesus we see in Scripture who went to people who were down and out and far from God. Somehow the churches that I have been in, that I grew up in, that I was a minister in, somehow we got the idea that church was a country club where you keep the people, the sheep, in the, in the pen. And you, if they get too close to the pen, you yell, don't go out there, don't you go there, don't you do that, don't you do those things. Don't you dare associate with the wolves outside the pen. And I don't want to be that church. Quite honestly, I'd rather hang out with a hell-bound, cocaine-snorting, skirt-chasing dude than I would an uptight Pharisee Christian. Because I can get fired up about this in a second. If somebody comes here and, and they say, man, I just I can't stand your church. I'm going to go find another church. I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with that. If you, if you need to... There are 121 churches in Palestine. If you can't find one you like, there's something wrong with you. And, and we're not supposed to be like any other church in Palestine. That's not why God started us. But if you're a Christ follower and you go somewhere else and serve God and, and, and get fed and do things, yay, I'll see you in heaven but I can't stand the thought of people going to hell. I've read about hell. I've studied what Jesus said about hell. It is a real place. And he said there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I can't stand the thought of somebody going there. So we're going to keep on reaching for seekers. It's why we were started. And we believe God's going to add believers who, who get on fire and want to reach seekers. We believe God's going to do all that. But the reason we started, because we think hell is an unacceptable place for anyone to go. And we're going to keep on reaching people who are far from God. It's who we are. Well, how do you become selfless? If you want to be a church, if we want to be the church the way it should be, the way it was in the book of Acts, you've got to become selfless. How do you do that? Well, first of all, you realize we're filled with the same spirit. And I didn't put this on your listening guide, but I should have. Right next to that, write the word unified. Unified or unity. 
Last week, we spent a whole lot of time in Acts chapter 2 talking about the very first time the Holy Spirit descended upon believers, and that was the beginning of church, the Christian church, in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down. Holy Spirit identified Christ followers, made it real clear who the Christ followers were. Later, the Holy Spirit came to the Gentiles, and the fact that the Holy, same Holy Spirit came to Jews and Gentiles. In fact, God sent some of the Jewish leaders to see the Gentiles. They were there when the Holy Spirit came on them. They came back to tell the rest of Jews, well, look, God gave them the same Holy Spirit that he gave us. Who are we to argue with God? If God's accepted them, we better accept them. So what I'm trying to tell you is in God's kingdom, there is no such thing as a second class Christian. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom. There are different jobs to do, but God looks at all of us as if we are the same. We're a family and we're supposed to treat each other like God's family. Look at Ephesians 4, chapter 3, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. Try your best to let God's Spirit keep your hearts united, unified, (laughs) read it, united. Here we go. Deep breaths. Do this by living at peace. All of you, all of you are part of the same body. There's only one Spirit of God, just as you were given one hope when you were chosen to be God's people. We have only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one God who is the Father of all people. Not only is God above all others, but He works by using all of us, and He lives in all of us. How many of you... Don't raise your hands. Do not raise your hands. How many of you, if you could, you would have chosen a different family growing up? Don't you do it. You weren't able to pick your family, right? Now, honestly, my family, the Washburn family, is the weirdest group of people that you've ever been around. But I've never wished for different brothers and a different sister. Never have. My mom was the oldest of eight children. I've never wanted her to have different siblings. My dad's family, we didn't spend a whole lot of time with them, so I don't know what they're like. Here's the point, though. I have wanted my siblings sometimes to change some of the bad habits in their lives or maybe some of the thoughts and processes. I've wanted them to give their hearts fully to God. And, and, and my brothers both graduated from seminary and my sister's in a church. They're all serving in church somewhere. That's not They're Christians. But I've never wanted a new family. Never. We're messed up, but I've never wanted a new family. You don't get to choose your spiritual family either. And Jesus says the way that we'll prove to the world that we're really different, that something supernatural is in us, is when weird people show up and we love them. We go out of our way to take care of people. We don't go running off and hide and say, they're too weird, you can't come to our group. Nothing gets me fired up more than than somebody who tries to get a closed click. I was a youth minister for 19 years, hated cliques, spent 19 years trying to to destroy cliques. And even now, without without trying to, what happens here? Because we get to loving one another and spending time with each other in in small groups. And without knowing it, we'll come out here and we'll clump together. And new people will come in and it just makes me crazy to see people who've been here for a while and know what our church is about and they stand there and talk to one another. I'm going to start carrying a bat out there. If you see me with a bat next weekend, you, you know you better watch for people who are new. Because it's unacceptable that anybody should ever walk in. Because remember, 
Remember when you came in the first time or when the first time you walked into a church, you remember what it's like to go in there. I've been a minister for 27 years now. And when my family goes to another church, it, there's a little bit of apprehension when we walk in the door. If we're going someplace we haven't been before. Remember what it's like to come in the first time. Get outside of yourself. That's what it means to be selfless. It doesn't mean putting yourself down. It just means thinking of yourself less. And think of others. And remember what it's like to come in the first time. And go out of your way to serve them. People aren't looking for a friendly church. Just FYI. People are looking for friends. So you got to do something more than what we've been doing if we're going to be like the very first church. What I'm trying to say is this. By definition, no second class Christians, no second class people when they walk here on, the, on this property, we're all equal before God. And so what I kind of want us to adopt, there was, a, there was a group years ago, a boys club. I read about way, way back when I first got serious about Christ, I read about this boys club. And uh, they, they decided they needed some rules. And so they debated the rules and they came up three rules. They wrote them down, stuck them on the wall. Here's the rules. Nobody act big. Nobody act small. Everybody act medium. How many church fights could have been avoided? If they just follow that. Because people get to think they're so important. And this is my deal. And when it's God's deal. And they're trying to defend God. And God's big enough to defend himself. If I'll just be a servant of God. It's amazing what he'll do in and through me. We'll talk about that in just a second. See what we've done is we've bought into this myth. This myth says we're not on the same team. Or we're not in the same family. Nothing kills Team spirit like Terrell Owens. Sorry. He thinks he's bigger than the team. You take one individual in a church who thinks they're bigger, smarter, have more wisdom, knowledge, whatever, and they begin to push their own agenda and defend their territory, and you will kill unity. You'll kill this first necessity. We're on the same team, we have the same dad. If we're Christians, nobody act big, nobody act small, everybody act medium. Second thing we need to remember, or we need to discover generosity. Back to Acts chapter 2. All the Lord's followers often met together and they shared everything they had. They would sell their property and possessions and give the money to whoever needed it. Now, you've got to remember the situation. We talked about this last week. This was the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Pentecost. And, and the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that, that Jews from every nation that was known at that time, which was basically the rim around the Mediterranean Sea, there were Jews from every nation there. They heard about this dead man walking named Jesus Christ. They became believers and they stayed and they hung around. And so there were a lot of people who didn't live there, didn't have jobs. And, and the very first church, they said, we're going to take care of these folks. So they would sell property and they would give as they needed. And, and this wasn't something that I'm not telling you that we need to sell pieces of property and things that you, I'm not telling you that right now. But generosity is something that marks a church the way God wants it to be. And so a lot of you know, we've talked about our Haiti trip. So far this year, our little church has given $4,000 to Haiti, to World Vision. We give through World Vision. Over the last four years, I think we've given about $12,000 to World Vision. And, and we've bought things like cows and sheep and goats and, and sent them to places in Africa. And we've purchased um, 
fishing ponds and fishing equipment where they go in, they build the pond, they stock the pond, we, they, they take the fishing equipment, teach the people how to fish, and, and it feeds these, these folks for a lifetime. And, and we've done a lot of that. We decided since we're going to Haiti that we needed to give to Haiti. So when we did our one-day offering trying to get rid of debt, we brought in $41,000. We gave 10% of that to Haiti, to World Vision, because they had these, these um, kits that they were putting together, World Vision was, and they're distributing them all over the country. Well, there's 12 of us that are going in October, and, and the cost of those 12 people to go is $18,000. So far, we've brought in right around eight to $9,000, and so what we're doing is we're praying like crazy that God's going to provide the other nine to $10,000 that we need to go. There are people in our church who've said, I feel called of God to go, and I don't have a dime to my name. And I said, well, if God calls, God's going to provide. And so there's some people in here that God has called. You can't go, but you can give. And so any money you give goes directly to help those people. We need to buy the shirts, but give on top of that. Be generous. But let me tell you something else that New Life is going to do. This fall, after we finish this, this series, Church the Way It Should Be, we're going to go into a series called Louder Than Words. We're going to do three weeks. We're going to study um, and, and talk about our actions mean a whole lot more than what we say we believe. Our actions demonstrate what we believe. And then on October 17th, we're going to do a thing called Don't Go to Church, Be the Church. One of our church members, we're going to go to her house and we're going to use her house as the staging area for her neighborhood. We're going to do some work on her house, in her yard. But we're going to, we're going to go down the day before and we're going to pass out cards and we're going to invite everybody in the neighborhood to come to a block party right out in front of her house. And we're going to, we're going to give away free hamburgers and hot dogs. We're going to have lawn mowing crews going around just volunteering to mow people's lawns for free or rake leaves or whatever they need done around their house. We're going to have inflatable games over there. It's going to be a party in the name of Jesus. Instead of sitting here on October 17th, soaking in some more stuff that we may or may not do, we're going to get off our butts and go serve. And we're going to have children, if you're fifth grade or over, children can come and, and work with us. Underneath that age, we're going to have church here for them. So at the regular time, you'll bring them up here. They'll get, the, their, their, get their teaching back there. We're going to have some inflatable games here. We're talking about different things to do with them during the day. We're going to need people to do child care. We're going to need people to cook. We need people to help with roofs. We need people to help with decking, with mowing, all of this stuff. I want you to pray about it because we're all going to put on the same shirt. And I don't know which shirt it's going to be. But we're all going to put on the same shirt. We're going to descend on that neighborhood and we're going to pray that God would do something that, that we would not believe if he told us ahead of time. Anybody want to be a part of that? Me and Kimberly are going. The rest of you, take the Sunday off. Now, we've bought into this myth. When I'm not generous and when you're not generous, you've bought into a myth. And here's the myth. Everything I have is mine. I've done a lot of funerals in 27 years as a minister. And um, I noticed that nobody ever gets to take anything with them. Even if, even if you put something meaningful, and I've seen it all. I've seen footballs and helmets and, and you know pictures and wedding rings, and I've seen it all go stuffed down inside the casket. And it doesn't do the person who's died any good. Right? Generous people have figured something out, though. Although you can't take it with you, you can send it on ahead. 
by giving to the kingdom of God. And my, my book study with these men, we've been reading the book In a Pit with Lion on a Snowy Day. Great book. If you hadn't read it, get it. And get a magnifying glass because it is a little bitty print. Um, but it's a great book. And one of the things he said in there that, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago was this. If, if you can't outgive God, and the Bible says you can't, if you can't outgive God, is anything you do really a sacrifice? Even if you don't get it back in this life, if the Bible says, because Jesus said to his followers, man, if you've left your houses and your homes and family, you're going to get a hundred times as much in the kingdom of heaven. So if you know that your giving here is going to be rewarded somewhere else, is it really a sacrifice? Everything you have has been given to you by God. And money is really a test about where your heart is. So... Some of you today need to give towards Haiti. Some of you need to, to be praying about what you're going to do when we do the block party. Some of you need to get off of your rear and serve or you're never going to grow the next step in your Christian life. Number three, this is big. Remember that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Do you know in the Bible there is no such thing as a superhero of the faith? When you read the Bible, you come across ordinary people who trusted an extraordinary God. And it was that God who did incredible things through them. And by the way, just let me, let me get a pet peeve out here. Prayer is not our only hope. Because you can pray to that chair. Not going to get anything out of it. But you can pray earnestly. In fact, I'll leave the church open today. If you want to bow down and pray to that chair, you can. And we'll film it and make fun of you. Because you're never going to get anything from that chair. And if you pray to the wrong God, you will not get anything from that wrong God. So it's not prayer is our only hope. God, with a capital G, Jehovah God, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Rapha, my healer. He's the only hope for America. All right. Every person that God chose to use was ordinary. Moses went from the penthouse to the outhouse. He was next in line to become president of Egypt, and he goes out and, and he becomes a sheep herder. In that society, the Egyptians considered sheep herding the lowest occupation in society. He did that for 40 years before God says, now he's humble, now I can use him. King David wrote most of the book of Psalms. Dude was a shepherd boy, again, lowest in society. But because he trusted God to lead him up against a man named Goliath, he said, this Goliath, you come at the enemies of the living God. And this day he will help me defeat you. Because this little boy trusted an incredible God. He did amazing things through that little boy. God used farmers, tax collectors, sheep herders, fishermen. These are the kinds of people God used to do extraordinary things. People like you and me. Now, let me finish with this. Last week, we talked about Peter uh, going into the temple. He was going up to pray at the regular time of prayer. There was a man there born lame, and he healed him. And it caused quite the ruckus. Everyone was amazed, and they came and they started glorifying God. If you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 4, verse 1. The apostles were still talking to the people about what had happened with this lame man when some priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some Sadducees arrived. These men were angry because the apostles 
were teaching the people that the dead would be raised from, the, from death. Okay, here's the deal. The Sadducees did not believe that there was anything that happened on the other side of death. You got Pharisees, which is one group of the, the council. You got Sadducees, the other group. The Pharisees believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. Sadducees are hacked because they're talking about somebody coming back from the dead. But, but it gets better. Just as Jesus had been raised from death. It was already late in the afternoon and they arrested Peter and John and put them in jail for the night. But a lot of people who had heard the message believed it. So by now there were about 5,000 followers of the Lord. Acts chapter 2, there's about 120 believers in an upper room praying because Jesus said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes after Peter preaches the first sermon, 3,000 people are saved. Just a few days later they go to the temple and because this lame man is is healed, they hear... uh, Peter preach another 2,000, 5,000 people are now believers in God. And the, and the religion police show up and they are ticked off. Now, they're supposed to keep the peace in the temple. They're supposed to test every message to see whether it's from God or not. But they didn't listen. The high priest brings them before them the next day and he says, By what name? And, and, and if you said name back then, it was by what authority? Where do you get this power is the question he's asking. Where do you get this power? Look what Peter says in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Here's the scene. The man is is healed. And they never address this. The religious leaders, when they go off in their little council, they say, Well, can't say anything about that because we all see the, the lame man. He's been healed. So they don't even talk about that. They say, Whose name? Where do you get this power? Look what he says. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. That's going to get you in trouble. If you pin Jesus' death, the Messiah that everyone in Israel has been looking for, if you say, okay, he's the Messiah, you killed him, God raised him, verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were what? Ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. When's the last time someone looked at your life and said, you must have been with Jesus? Because there's something different about you. What would make you love someone like me they begin the the wheels begin to turn in their head and they and they say you must know someone with a power i don't know and they want you to introduce them to him when's the last time somebody looked at your life and said you have a power not of this world That's church the way it should be. Unified, generous, ordinary people that God uses to do extraordinary things. The problem with most of our churches is no one is seeing God work and do God-sized things so no one is being drawn to that. You allow God to work through you individually. We allow God to work through us as a church. Extraordinary things happen and you can't keep people away. We've bought into this myth that says God only uses all stars. 
I think sometimes we sit back and we sit back and we sit back and, and we're kind of like we're kind of like a plane at the at the boarding gate, and we never get off of the tarmac. We never get on the runway. We never take off and do anything for God. Oh God, I'll I'll do things for you when I graduate high school, or I graduate college, or when I get married, or when I get this job. God, we just keep putting it off, and we're just sitting there and sitting there and sitting there, and life is passing us by, and God is working all around us, and people are coming by, and you're going, why why aren't you using me, God? And God says, because you're not available. There are probably hundreds of people who God brings by you on a regular basis, but because you're not tuned in to God, you miss them. And so God has to find another servant who is in tune with Him to show the Father to them. If you read the Bible, you'll see throughout... By the way, some of you are reading through the book of Acts, and it's just a blast reading through the book of Acts, just a chapter a day. You can get through it by the time we finish this series. Every person you meet in in the book of Acts is an ordinary person filled with an extraordinary Holy Spirit of God who does extraordinary things for God. There are no great men of God. There are no great women of God. There's a great God that certain men and women are tuned into. And so God uses them. Well, where do you start? If you want to become useful in God's hands, where do you start? First of all, identify which myth you have fallen for. And I'm going to have you do that on the back of your listening guides in just a minute. We're not on the same team or we're not in the same family. Everything I have is mine or God only uses all stars. Be thinking about that. Second thing you got to do is commit to make one change this week. I'm not asking you to change everything about who you are. I'm asking you to commit to one change this week. What is one thing you can do this week to begin responding to an extraordinary God? Third thing is tell someone, tell one person so that they can hold you accountable. And if you don't have anybody, you write it on the back of your list of your registration card here in a second or email me. My email is real hard to remember, Doug at NLCCP.com. If you need to email me about what's going on in your life, you do that, and I'll pray for you. 